and welcome to another episode of the Sorbonne Mesa podcast with me, Alan McGuire. It's been a while, I know. Uh, I've been very busy since August. Um, back of the, it's like the start of a new year for many people, isn't it? Um, the new academic year. So the, I've become a student again as well. Um, and I actually wrote a book in August, Ideology, a Critique of the West. And it's free to download on my website. So uh, the book covers basic the basics of ideology and how we interact with it and how it helps us form our ideas. And then it goes on to talk about what many people call neoliberal capitalism or neoliberal ideology that we have today. And, and, and talking a little bit about its decline and, and how it forms how we see the world today. So yes, if that sounds interesting to you, it's around about 80, 90 pages. It's not very long at all. It's a very small book. Um, but if that sounds interesting to you, then go on my website, alanmaguire.com, and you can download a free version. Um, just click the tab at the top that says books. As I said, new feels like a new year. It's not really, but uh, this does feel like a new season of the Sobremesa podcast. Um, as I've said before, we're going to be going for about an episode a month now. Um, because, well, I'm studying a degree, trying to write and lot, do lots of things at once. Uh, also joined a political party in Spain, so very full on. Uh, but I do want to keep this podcast going and I do want to keep the sort of radical edge to it that uh, and progressive, progressive stream that takes a look at history, current affairs and what else is going on in, the, in Spain. So I would like to cover um, or do several episodes on imperialism. So if you know anybody that is interested in imperialism, that has a keen interest, maybe they've written a book, maybe they've written some papers, uh, maybe they are just a huge fan and, and uh, would be able to give a talk on it, then please do get in contact with me. You can get in contact with me um, via email, so the Sobremesa podcast at gmail.com, or you can get alan.maguire1987 at gmail.com. Uh, or you can also get me at Twitter, amaguire1987 is my handle. Uh, it's probably the best place to get hold of me, to be honest. Um, or if you have any ideas of anything that you'd like to hear, or just to get in contact, it's always great to hear from listeners. Had some great feedback over the years. We're kind of keeping our numbers. Um, and as I said, we, you know, we're we're trying to stick for, go for one a month, um, but hopefully good quality i hope you and are enjoying this podcast uh and i and i really enjoy making it so i hope you continue to listen um so here when we get new episodes come out please subscribe and then you should get a notification and if you're on apple leave a leave a review um or just share the episode on twitter and facebook uh tag us if you can it's always really great to get um notifications related to the podcast and I'd like to thank you all very much for being patient. And um, I hope you enjoy this interview, which is with the journalist Ben Ray. And it's about the Riders Law that has recently been passed in Spain. Welcome to the Sobre Mesa podcast. Today with me, I have Ben Ray from the Gig Economy Project and Brave New Europe, and he's a freelance journalist. Welcome to Sobre Mesa, Ben. Thanks for having me. No, thanks for coming on. Um, so uh, do you want to tell us a bit about what the Gig Economy Project and Brave New Europe is? 
So the Brave New Europe is basically a, a kind of lefty media site. Um, it publishes lots of different uh, opinion pieces, analysis about European politics, basically. And they, uh, they managed to get a grant fund uh, about 18 months ago um, to have a specific media project on the gig economy in Europe because oh, they wow. felt that there wasn't enough coverage and analysis of this new development in, in the world of work. Uh, and I'm a journalist and they, they asked me to coordinate that project. So oh, basically, wow. essentially, the Gig Economy Project is a, is a media network uh, where we, we report on what's going on, all the key developments, try to provide a bit of analysis about what they mean. And uh, we try to be a space where gig workers can give their own voice as well. So they publish opinion pieces and, and that sort of thing. So it's kind of a media network for, for gig workers in Europe. Oh wow, cool! And uh, the well, the thing that we're going to talk about today is the the riders' law, right? As as it's been nicknamed in Spain, I don't know what the yeah. official title is. Um, I hope you can tell me. Um, I can tell you. But uh, yeah, is Spain one of the first to pass this law? And and what is this law? I mean, most people know that it's related to Global and Just Eat and all of these sort of delivery companies deliver takeaways and I don't know everything like condoms and I don't know barrettes <laughs> they deliver everything don't they uh um but yeah can you can you tell us a, give us a bit of background to what it's for and and um yeah. how it come about in Spain so I think probably the starting point is 2018 where there was a bunch of protests from from riders and riders is the name that's used for food delivery couriers. Um, it's, it's a name that's more used in Spain and less in other places, but is used in, in other places as well. Uh, and these protests kind of revealed the reality uh, of working in one of these jobs where you're extremely low paid, um, extremely precarious circumstances where sometimes uh, you can get work, some days you can't because basically you're, you're entirely on demand. You only get paid if the work is there to do, if the app tells you that you've got an order. And uh, so the riders, they began to protest and say, we want better pay, we want better conditions of work. Um, and that's what started making this something in the, the public consciousness. And then obviously at the, in the beginning of, of 2020, the, uh, we had a new government the PSOE Podemos coalition government and the Labour minister um, is from the Podemos side, Yolanda Diaz. Yeah, Yolanda Diaz. She's from the yeah. From, she's a member of the Communist Party, but yeah, she's she's the new de facto leader, right? Yeah, and she's got a Galician background, and mm. yeah, de facto leader. Now she's also the the deputy prime minister in the government uh -huh. and, yeah. um, since Pablo Iglesias left. So one of her first initiatives as the Labour Minister was to push forward with what was called, and well, what officially is called, the Stop Fake Autonomous Act. Mm -hmm. um, that's important because the, the, the original title was broader than just the Riders' Law. It got nicknamed the Riders' Law. Uh -huh. uh, the reason why it was broader is because it was originally for all people who work in these kind of on-demand, app-based, gig, gig economy-type jobs. Yeah. Was it also including people that, sorry, was it also including people that uh, were employed by companies that that basically effectively the company was making them become 
what they call autonomo, which is self-employed. Um, is that including those companies as well? Well, it was originally supposed to include all companies where you okay. were yes, fake self-employed. Yeah. You were hired on a, on a self-employed basis, but essentially you, you, know, you worked often, for one company. You, work, you often work full-time, often even more than full-time, like all hours uh -huh. a day make enough income. But the law was reduced down to just be a law for food delivery workers. Oh, so that was okay. one of the important concessions that Yolanda Diaz made in order to, to get the law food. Right. Because obviously, the demos doesn't have a majority. But also, they, they operate through what's called a social dialogue roundtable. And what that basically means is you get in the Employers Association, which uh, the CEOE, Mm -hmm. uh, Spanish Employers Association, and you get the, the two big Spanish unions, the UGT, uh, Commissioners, Obreras, uh -huh. you, get them, you get all of them in the room and, you know, you don't, you don't uh, push forward with the proposal until they all agree, which yeah. seems like a pretty, a pretty tough thing to do, you know. She's <laughs> famous for it, isn't she? She's famous for being, I can't remember her nickname, but she's famous for making, the, like, um, negotiating with with lots of people i mean she's done it with uh, um, minimal salary yeah basic yeah, salary and yeah, things yeah, like yeah. that she also managed to pass something about um remote working and, and yeah, yeah. rights yeah. To, to equipment and stuff like that uh -huh. so yeah she's she's considered to be a good negotiator now i would argue um my my perspective is that she did concede quite a lot in this negotiation to be able mm. to get this the agreement and it was a quite impressive thing to get the agreement of the employers association um, with with this rider's law. So what what did what's in the law and what did she concede from it? So what's in the law? The key things are there's two key things. One is that there's a presumption of employment amongst food delivery uh, workers. Um, what that basically means is at before the law, if uh, a worker for Glovo or Deliveroo uh, wanted to argue that they were employed and therefore had rights to pension, minimum wage, all the things that come with being an employee, uh, they would have to go to court and, and to prove it, which is a very hard thing for a low-paid worker to do. Yeah. Um, and, you know, most of them can't, can't go and do that, even though it was done many, many times. There's already, there's many, many court cases where it was, where the courts found that they were employees the way that the, these platform companies responded to those court findings was to say, okay, we will hire that one person from that one court case, but we're not going to consider it to be a president for, for, the, for all, right. all of our workers. So this flips that around. So this basically says the presumption is they are an employee and the onus is on the company, the platform, uh, to prove otherwise. Um, now, that's the first time that's happened that any government in, in Europe has done that. So that's quite a, a significant development. The second part of the, the, the rider's law is that basically the, the trade unions, or what they say, the, what they call the workers' legal representation, usually that's trade unions, have a right to access algorithms uh, that are used by the platform. Why do they need to, to see the algorithms? Because without the algorithms, there's no way you can collectively bargain over um, right. wages and conditions because you don't know, you know, what the how, how it works. You don't you don't know how because yeah. the algorithm, all the information of the company 
is contained within the, the, the algorithm. Um, so that's very significant as well. And again, that's unprecedented in Europe. That's the first time uh, that's, that's happened in Europe. So tick for, tick for both of those, as far as I'm concerned, they're two good things. What was conceded? Well, the first thing that was conceded under pressure from Nadia Calvino, the economy minister, uh, who's in the PSOE, the, the, the uh, majority partner in the coalition, was that it would only be the riders and therefore wouldn't include domestic workers, home care workers, ride hail drivers. Um, uh, so that was you know, a significant concession. Secondly, that there would be nothing in the law which would prevent the companies from subcontracting. So essentially, they don't, don't necessarily have to hire the workers directly. They could hire them via subcontractors. Right. Um, okay. And that's now what a lot of the companies are, are doing. Now like a loophole, basically. Yeah, now the Riders Act's enforced. So that was quite a big concession. And the final thing, and you know, I don't know if you know the campaign group Riders Derechos has been one of the main... I've heard of it, yeah. It's been one of the main campaign groups for, for riders in, in Spain. What they said was, because you're saying there's a presumption of employment in the sector, um, the, the platforms will respond by tweaking their algorithm and saying and making the case to the courts that, this is self, that they are self-employed and it's all going to end up back in the courts again. Right. Uh, that was the kind of third critique of it. And there's evidence that that's happening now um, because of the way that the, the companies have responded to the Riders Act, which came into force in August. And I can explain how they've responded to it, if, if you like. Yeah, I mean, um, before we, I, I wanted to just go over a few, like, with regards to why is it important that they're seen as, as employees? Because... Uh, uh, for a lot of people that maybe aren't uh, um, don't know about Spain, you know, you need to pay social security, right, to get sure. a lot of things uh, in Spain. I mean, healthcare used to be based on social security contributions. It's not anymore, but but one of the big ones is unemployment benefits, right? What's commonly known as paro, you have to pay in for I think it's a year to get three months worth of of unemployment benefits. So. If you're a false autonomo, if you don't pay, well, you don't pay in and they can only pay the minimum, I suppose they don't get any access to, to paddle, right? No. And and of course, it benefits the company to say they're self-employed because it means the company doesn't have to pay social security yeah. payments as well. Uh, when you have employees, you have to pay uh, for, for social security on their behalf. So... Uh -huh. I think the, the, the arrears that these companies are in, in terms of social security payments to, to the government, it's, I can't remember the exact figure, but it's well into the millions, you know, that, 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 that they owe the companies. So that's, that, that you're right, that's one important reason why it's important uh, that, that, that they're employees. The other is you, you have a right to a minimum wage, yeah. um, you have a right to a pension, you have a right mm -hmm. to holiday pay, you have a right to sick leave, you have yeah. a right to, to challenge unfair dismissal. Um, so there's a whole series of laws uh, that come with being a worker, which do not come with being self-employed. And also, mm. being self-employed is quite a high tax rate in Spain as well. Yeah. Uh, so so it's, it, it, it's certainly, a, I would argue, it's a net cost. Now, there is a debate among, it would be wrong to say all the riders agree that they want to be employees. There's right. quite a big... Yeah. Quite a big division. It's quite quite significant. Uh, there's a movement called uh, Si Soy Autonomo, 
right. yes, I, I am uh, self-employed. Now, a lot of these workers, um, first of all, there's a lot of links between the, these groups and the platforms. So the platforms have realized rather than them advocating for the workers to be self-employed, better to get the riders to do it because yeah. it's a better way to make the argument. So the, the Global, for example, has been found to, to fund a lot of these uh, seemingly oh, grassroots, really? yeah, wow. grassroots organizations because they, want, they know it's the best way in which they can pressure um, the government. The other thing to say about it is the, a lot of riders are ethnic minorities, first of all, and secondly, are uh, migrants, and, and quite a significant section are undocumented migrants. Now, right. if, you're an undoc if you're an undocumented migrant, you don't want to have to go for a job application process, obviously, because you, you're not able to do that because you're not a citizen. Um, so the, the low barriers to entry for getting onto these apps is a major uh, is a major sort of benefit for and, and the, the the platforms know that and they play uh -huh. on that fact that they're dealing with really quite precarious people you know um, so that made up a section of this movement who that was against it becoming uh, employees so there's there's been and a division some of them share I've heard stories that some people share the autonomous as well right like. Share or, or worse that that the the a person has a, an app and they basically uh, take a, a commission and someone doesn't really? want for them and they take a commission yeah Jesus. Uh, so you get that kind of sub exploitation you know um, wow. that works works all the way down society but this is this is why if you don't have proper regulations um, mm. on the, on these companies they will take advantage of the people who are, are most marginalised you know yeah. in the economy. And with regards to the algorithms, um, I, I suppose a, a lot of listeners in the UK and po possibly the United States, if they're old enough, they might know what collective bargaining is. But um, a lot of a lot of people that live in the US and the UK don't know what collective bargaining mm -hmm. is. Um, so can you just talk about how that uh, and the, the algorithms work together that you mentioned earlier? So collective bargaining is basically when a union and a, a, a union and a company come to an agreement, a collective agreement on the, the basic conditions of work in terms of yeah. pay, hours of work, and so on and so forth. And this, as you say, this used to be this used to cover large swathes of the economy, and now it's often it's only public sector workers that, are, that have collective bargaining. It's it's been you know, as unions have become weaker in the economy, it's been massively reduced, especially in, in, the, in the private sector. Yeah. Now, in terms of the algorithms, if you are a union uh, and you represent workers and you want to negotiate a pay rise, how do you negotiate that pay rise if you have um, no information, right, on exactly how, for example, um, how many people work there, uh, how how many hours they they work on average, um, where the, how long it takes to do each route, what are the costs per route, the fundamentals of the work isn't is um, is inaccessible to to the workers themselves. They're, they're, it's a kind of black box. They right. just basically they just basically see the the final thing, which is the order price, and they do the work. So the the companies change the prices all the time. 
of, of the orders, depending on demand, depending on how many riders are, are operating that evening. The prices go up, the prices go down. Uh, so the algorithm is very complex uh, and it's very flexible. It's not like a normal job where you just get paid um, an hourly rate, no matter what time of the day or what you're doing. It's changing all the time. How, how so, much? What's the average that people to get paid? Uh, I don't know that exactly. Um, I think I, I think it's it's pretty low. I mean, it's somewhere like hovering around the minimum wage, and often uh, at times when there's a lot of riders um, working at the one same time, the 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 the, the, the wages go down because uh, the because the, the supply and demand, and it can fall well below the minimum wage. Wow. Uh, but it's it, it's uh, yeah it's a it's low paid work. Um, um. So yeah, the the algorithms they would use them. The, this law gives the unions access to the algorithms essentially, so that they can do some sort of collective bargaining. Uh, have they even got to that point yet? You you were talking about um, these cases ending up back in court. Um, before I so, redirected you, but um, the, but there's you, one. There's one uh, there's one company, Just Eat, yeah. uh, which is a Dutch company, but it's one of the main ones in, in Spain for food delivery. They uh, had actually agreed before the riders' law that their workers would become employees. Right. Now, a lot of them are, are hired through subcontracting, but they are negotiating a collective bargaining agreement oh, wow, with, really? with the, two, the two big Spanish unions, UGT and Commissioners Obreras. Um so that's a potential for that to, you know, to, to, to come to some. We'll have to see what that agreement is. Sometimes yeah. these agreements aren't very good, um, but, but that's, that's something. In terms of the other, uh, the other food delivery companies, how they've responded to it, Deliveroo, the UK company, which is part owned by, by Amazon, they decided to uh, flee Spain altogether. Um, So that that was a big controversy, you know, because the right wing in Spain then said, look at the impact this writer's law is having, people are losing their jobs. But then obviously people pointed out, well, you've been saying that these aren't jobs, that they're they're, they're all self-employed. So how can they be losing their jobs? So so there was that uh, delivery of, I mean, delivery probably were going to leave anyway because their market share in Spain is quite low. They left Germany uh, for for a similar reason. But it's it's possible they were pushed by the riders law because the riders law is going to increase the costs for for these platforms, the labour costs. Then you've got um, Uber Eats, and Uber Eats basically on August 12th, the day the riders' law came into force, they deactivated all the riders from the app, and they began hiring riders as subcontractors uh, from subcontracting firms. Now the unions are taking a court case against them for collective for unfair collective dismissal, oh, wow. because on August 12th the riders' law is enforced, and you've just deactivated all these people from the app. Um, so all these people because you, know, you don't like the law, basically, yeah, essentially <laughs> wow. lost their job and, and, and had to and had to reapply for, the, for for their position. And the final one is Glovo, and Glovo is the most controversial one. Glovo is the biggest um, food delivery app in Spain. It's, it's a Spanish, a Catalan company, and um, Glovo basically uh, hired twenty percent of their riders. And the other 80% continued to um, hire them on a self-employed basis, but they tweaked the algorithm. 
So the change they made to the algorithm, the most important change anyway, was that now the riders could basically, there's basically an auction system for each order. So they would put a base price in, let's just say the base price is 10 euros for the order. And then the rider can decide they want to try to uh, get 30% higher for that order or 30% lower, right? So wow. obviously that incentivizes, if you want that, that job, that incentivizes you to say, no, I'll, I'll do the job for, for 30% uh, less. So in case a proper, proper rat race between, between like, the really competitive. It's made it even but, worse by the sounds yes, of it. Like, yes, that, that is worse. That is worse. That is much worse, much worse. So, so, um, so basically after they did that, the, you know, the court cases, the, the court actions, legal actions started straight away because what the lawyers for the unions are saying is this doesn't mean they're not self-employed. The Supreme Court, when the Supreme Court found that a global rider was an employee, they found that it was an employee based on the relationship to the digital tool, not on the basis that they, they have the option of rejecting an order or they can slightly change the, the prices of, of an order. So that's all going to go to the courts again. Uh, right. and there'll be another fight in the courts about that. The interesting thing about that is uh, because that global system was so shocking, you know, this new auction system, it, it, got, it, it created a, a kind of a storm amongst the riders and they began to organise protests, um, they picketed global restaurants um, and people from all sides of the riders movement, people who are the more self-employed, people who are the more pro-union, they kind of yeah. all joined together in resistance to this. And Glovo had to change it a little bit because of that pressure that the riders put on them. So now they've got rid of the part where you can put it 30% below the price uh, right. of, of, the, of the baseline price. And it's a good example of how riders do actually have a bit of power, you know, if they, if yeah, they organize. Yeah. Um, you know, I do this across Europe, and there's actually quite a lot of examples now of riders organizing strikes, organizing social media boycotts and stuff like that and showing that they've got they can they can put real pressure on on these companies well yeah i mean I and mean, as you said like a lot of riders are ethnic minorities some are some don't have the right to work in the country and i suppose others are, uh, I, most of them are young aren't they really um yeah uh as well and they use their own equipment right they you know is that they use their own bikes do they get any money for that or anything no, that's that's a, that's a good point. That's another one of the big problems because it, it, the the, the 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 wages of being a rider, um, the aggregate or the net wage that you end up with after you you count for the costs of repair for your bikes, the wear and tear that's involved in 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 that, the cost of purchase of a bike in the first place, that all brings down your total your total income at the end of the day. Yeah. And these these platforms. They never include that when they talk about how much the riders are earning. You know, they just have the the headline figure of the earnings. They never talk about the costs that are involved in being a rider, where they have to buy all their own stuff. And uh, you were talking about some of the riders' activists um, about the ones that want to stay uh, self-employed. How how is this sort of divide going now? The divide between the riders. Uh, that's a good question. I think a lot of them are are still unhappy because of the way in which uh, I mean, partly it's because of the way in which the platforms have responded to the riders' riders' law. You know, 
uh, whereby they left it right until uh, the rider's law came into force before they announced what they were going to do. So there was a lot of uncertainty in the run-up to it. Um, and when they take on employees, they're not necessarily going to have as many riders as if they were just hiring them on a, on a, on a freelance basis. So it potentially is going to shrink the number of total riders that are, that are um, you know, operational. Yeah. So there's a lot, there's still a lot of unhappiness about it, but, you know, my, my opinion is that, you know, they really have to blame the platforms for that, you know? I mean, there's been over 50 court cases now in Spain. Jesus. Where they've found that the the riders are are employees, not self-employed. The the labour inspector has fined uh, a lot of these companies multiple times over um, for for breaching the, the, you know, illegally, illegal, basically illegal work operations. But a lot of these companies would prefer to just pay the fines, you know, than change their business model because their business model is based on extremely low cost of labor. Um, so I think I think some of these people, these riders have been manipulated into looking in the wrong direction. You know, uh, they, like the platforms put out a kind of fear campaign that 80 percent of people would would not would no longer be able to work if the riders law was passed. Um, so there's been a lot of fear generated, and I think that's that's influenced a lot of, uh, of what the riders are thinking about it. Now, I think there is a clear incentive as an employee to join the unions, because mm-hmm. clearly, if you're an employee, there's going to be strong ability to collectively bargain, and it makes more sense now to join the unions. So my, my hope is that the, the riders' law, the long-term repercussions of the riders' law, uh, will be an increase in, in, in people thinking actually this makes sense to be to be a part part of the union uh, from now on. I think it's also worth uh, saying that the Riders Law um, is being looked at across Europe because it's that first, was my next question. Right, okay. <laughs> yeah, we emptied it. Um, it's the first time this has happened in Europe. So a lot of countries across Europe who are facing the same issues are saying, does this work? Is this an effective way of doing it? And the fact that there's been all these divisions has probably put doubt into people's minds about whether it is an effective way of doing it. On the 8th of December, the European Commission will publish a platform workers directive. And that will, uh, is expected to announce that uh, basically the same thing as the Riders Law, but for all uh, gig workers, right? A presumption of employment. Um, so if that was the case, it would essentially be the riders' law being rolled out across Europe. Um, but we don't know exactly what's going to happen because the mm-hmm. EU Commission is very influenced by the corporate lobbyists in Brussels. Um, I've been doing a bit of journalism on that, and the amount of meetings that these companies like Global get with the the commissioners to you know uh, to to hear their side of the story is is quite incredible. There's been like about fifteen just this year alone. Um, so who knows what will happen with that? But it's possible that the that basically a riders' law across Europe will, will will come out of that at the end of the year. And uh, I I saw I think it was on Navarra Media there was a short documentary on a, a riders' collective in Madrid. I don't know is that have there only been any collectives or any um. Good cooperatives sort, yeah like good stories come out of of the riders law of riders getting together to start businesses or anything like that there's been cooperatives uh, in, in spain there's, there's a good one in barcelona called menzacas 
which came out of the, the movement, uh, the Riders to Rachel's movement. There's quite a lot now uh, in, in different, there's quite a few in the Basque country. Uh, I, I'm not sh exactly sure about Madrid, but yeah, there's, there's been cooperatives that have been set up. The problem is uh, always the same with a lot of these cooperatives. It's an issue of scale. Yeah. How do they scale up so that the general public are aware they can get their delivery from there rather than from, from Glovo and Uber Eats? Because I'm sure people in Spain would be happy to, to get a delivery from a cooperative rather than, than Glovo, but they won't know about it or they won't have the operational size, these cooperatives, to, to be able to deliver uh, far and wide. So that, that's, that's always the issue with them. And I think governments have yeah. to have to put, stump up a bit of, uh, you know, try, try and help invest a little bit in these cooperatives if they want them to be, you know, genuine challengers to, the, to these firms. Yeah, no, definitely. They need, they need some form of... It comes down to a lot of money at the end of the day, like capital, doesn't it, really? Um, yeah, because the platforms are... Are all essentially they're all just vehicles of for venture capital, you know. Uh, none of them make profit at the moment. Um, they're just uh, they're just fueled by this huge investment um, from venture capitalists who believe that Glovo, for example, can become the monopoly food delivery platform in Spain. And if it gets that monopoly position. Is going to make absolutely loads of money because it's not going to have any competition, and eventually the venture capitalists will get uh, their money back and then some. To be honest, I, I don't think that's going to be the way the food delivery sector goes. It's grown extremely fast over the pandemic. Like the number of food delivery couriers in Spain has doubled over the last, over the pandemic, but uh, the companies are still not making money, you know, um, because they're. they're they're just their business models are, are based on growth rather than based on you know securing immediate profits. So I think there's going to be a lot of crisis in the sector, a lot of instability, and um, because of the nature of the, the the finance capital that goes into these companies, the, the way in which they they try to grow is extremely fast uh, and and to an enormous scale, but that doesn't always work out. Yeah, I suppose that's what happens when you base your business model on a exploiting exploiting riders right yeah and on you know and on taking ridiculous sums of money from bankers and venture capitalists on the hope that you'll become the next big thing within a couple of years you know it's, it's like boom or bust for the, a lot of these companies the, the way they operate and is there any other um sort of new initiatives going on around the rest of Europe related to this? Is it, is it sort of kick-started anything new uh, in other sectors at all? Or is it mainly just, is it mainly just um, linked to sort of riders? Um, or is, that, is this happening in other parts of the gig economy as well? Yes, um, I think there's, there's all, the, the, the Supreme Court case in Spain with, the, with Glovo and with the, with the riders, there's been Supreme Court cases in Netherlands, in France, in London, and mainly those are with Uber. Oh, okay, um, right. And Uber drivers. So in the UK, for example, Uber drivers are now employed by the company. Um, so they get holiday pay, uh, they get minimum wage. They don't get all the stuff that the Supreme Court uh, said. So the Supreme Court said they should be paid from the time they log in until they log out. But Uber only pays them when they catch a, a ride. Um, so 
all these battles are taking place all over all over Europe, and that's one of the reasons why the EU Commission is doing this law because it's so the picture is so fragmented. You know, in some countries they have something called uh, third party status, which is between self-employed and employee. We have some of the rights of a, of an employee, but not all of them. Um, some countries, in, like in Portugal, they have something called wage portage, where basically they, they set up um, outsourcing firms that have to hire these workers, and the, the platforms essentially uh, hire the labour from, from the outsourcing firms. So it's a very fragmented picture. Like Europe's trying to get to grips with this new form of work and you know the digital economy, and it's doing so in a kind of very uneven and fragmented way. Um, so that's the reason why the EU Commission's uh, coming forward with this. But the, the other thing is, there's a there's a growing resistance of riders themselves fighting for their rights. So in Greece, a few weeks ago, um, the, the biggest food delivery company there, they tried to sack uh, all the riders. They were on short-term three-month contracts. They tried to get rid of all of them so it'd be freelancers. And they organised a huge strike. And not only were they not sacked, but they, they, they won permanent contracts. Um, and in Germany right now, uh, there's a company called Gorillas, which does like super fast grocery uh, deliveries. And there's wildcat strikes going on there right now uh, where wow. the, the workers, they don't even organize in a union. They just uh, set up his own, his own collective and start uh, blockading uh, what's called the dark stores where these uh, food is made up. Um, so there's a lot of, there's, I, th I really think that um, that the riders and the, the gig economy workers are, are kind of uh, the, at the vanguard of a lot of the, the, the class, yeah. class struggle in, in Europe right now. There's a lot of exciting, exciting developments in that sense. Yeah, I mean, the unions, like the state is trying to catch up with the companies, but the unions are trying to catch up with the workers as well, right? I mean... Yes. It's always the workers are always the the the, the ones that are being exploited are always the ones at the forefront, like you say, the, the, the vanguard really. Um well thanks very much, Ben. That was really interesting. Um and it's good well, it's good to hear some good news and uh that the these things are being uh, battled against really. Yeah, and, and I think you know, just to say in terms of the Spanish government, um it's quite uh, my my own view is that Podemos haven't hasn't probably done as much as it could or should with the power it's got in government. The Raiders Law is something that is done, you know, uh, something that is achieved so far. It's not perfect; could have been better, but uh, it's something that, as me as a as a left wing person, I look at the the Podemos and I have hopes that they're going to deliver left wing changes to to Spain. And this is something that they have achieved, you know. Uh, so it's what it is worth pointing out. Point out that that positive. No, definitely. I mean, yeah. If if, if people people need to vote for vote for them so they can get some more power because the Pesoe are historically, uh, well, I think I always make the same joke. The they're called the Socialist Workers Party of Spain, but most of them aren't workers and most of them aren't socialists. But. <laughs> Uh, yeah, they're historically very pro-capital, really, I suppose. And, yeah. and yeah, and then, as you said, the European Union as well uh, is not also, well, it's always normally in favour of, of the companies, right? Um, yeah. And 15 meetings with these people within within uh, 10 months of a year is quite a lot. <laughs> Thank, thanks very much, Ben. Cheers.